Welcome to the Best Bench Podcast, where we dive into stories and lessons from business owners and realtors in Winnipeg and across Canada. I'm your host, Dana Graham. I'm a realtor and team leader with the Graham Anderson Group at Century 21 Backman and Associates. Get ready to laugh, listen, and maybe learn a little in today's episode. Welcome to the Bench Podcast. Um, today's topic is working with the right people, and I'm so excited because we have literally the expert on this topic. I was not when I wrote this topic, I was not necessarily expecting that we would have such a, a fantastic uh, guest, but we do. Today we have Jessica Willis with us. She is a partner at Summit, Summit Search Group, which is a leading executive and professional recruitment firm with offices across Canada. So she's not only a business owner, but she also helps companies recruit uh, people for their own. Um, for their own companies and she helps people find jobs um, that fit them. So I think this is a great topic and welcome Jeff. Thank you so much for having me, Dana. I'm so excited to be here um, and have a great discussion. Yeah. So uh, check out Jess's bio in the description of this podcast. It's awesome. And it kind of explains a little bit more about her and I have linked Summit Search Group as well in there. So you can check out um, what Summit is all about. So let's get into it. I kind of thought we would split this discussion into two parts because we have such a unique uh, perspective from Jess. So firstly, we'll talk about hiring internal team and support um, and how she helps companies and helps people find jobs. And then we'll talk about uh, her own experience with um, clients and and kind of finding the ideal client or the ideal accounts to work with. Um, so firstly, this is a big, this is the big question of the podcast. How do you go about finding a good fit for a company um, in terms of you know, if they're recruiting for a certain position, do you do it purely based on qualifications or uh, kind of what criteria do you um, use to find the right fit? Well, first of all, I love this question because it is so layered. And I think we have seen so much change just in recruitment in general for job seekers, um, as well as companies on really what fit is. And I think that's changed a lot in the last three years. And I think clients, that a lot, of- um, a lot more um, open to out-of-the-box candidates, which is honestly what I enjoy doing the most, is marketing candidates that maybe don't check off all the boxes, but offer so much more. So as far as you know, what a good fit is, it really depends on the company. So when we meet with our clients, we talk about what, um, what sort of employee or what type of employee would fit well with the rest of the team. And every team dynamic within an organization is different. Um, we talk about communication styles and, and what that looks like. We talk about the type of leadership that's provided and what sort of employees um, really thrive in that environment and which ones, you know, it's less of a fit for. We talk also about autonomy and flexibility in the position, the work environment. That's a really hot topic. Is it work from home? Is it hybrid? Is it in office? And honestly, Dana, you'd be surprised at the variety in, in those buckets as well from a candidate perspective, um, you know, and what they're looking for. On the flip side, when I meet with a candidate, I ask all the same questions. What type of leader are you looking for? What type of environment is important to you? What are you looking for from your colleagues? Are you looking for a collaborative environment? Are you looking for a role that you can be a little more independent? And that's really kind of your sweet spot. Um, So it's very much like being a matchmaker in in the dating world. You know, you ask some other questions to align those interests and, and to make sure that we're checking off those boxes as far as fit versus the qualifications. Um, Perfect example, you could have a leader who has 25 years of leadership experience who hates being a leader and they would then move forward for an opportunity and it just wouldn't be the fit. 
or you might have someone with one or two years of leadership experience that has it and they want to grow and they love motivating people and they want to see their own team be successful, even if that means that they become more successful than that individual. That is a true leader, someone who wants to mentor and grow. So I do challenge some of my clients that are looking for those 20 years of experience to see if they'd be open to someone that has the soft skills required versus what's written on someone's resume. Totally. I love the matchmaker uh, comment that you made because that's so true. I think in in previous jobs, I had been part of um, hiring certain positions and it's very difficult to read a resume. Maybe they include a cover letter, maybe, maybe they don't without a recruiter to almost mediate between the two. Um, because when you're, when you're just kind of going off of paper, there's no real face to the name. I mean, there is maybe they include a photo, some new, you know, resume, uh, or portfolio kind of styles, but you're really just, you're, you're introducing yourself in not a very, um, familiar way. Whereas the value that you bring is the, the mediation of, you know, this Mm -hmm. person might not have on paper the qualifications but like you said there's so many people in roles that might be the you know the right qualification but they hate that role and it's not not a good fit no um, and i i always share you know well recruitment is a function of human resources my background is sales and marketing my role is to facilitate to market opportunities to market candidates and qualify and assess and so all of those are really functions of the sales cycle um but also For me, it's really important to drill down on that motivation for a candidate. Mm -hmm. Someone might say that they're looking for, they would move to a new job because they're looking for more autonomy. But when I start to ask about their current environment, and it sounds like they already have autonomy, that's not the real motivator. And honestly, most people just don't know. They think that that's what they're looking for. But then we ask and we kind of narrow in on more of their current dissatisfaction. And and maybe it's not the satisfaction. Maybe they just feel like they're missing something. And we discover, oh, okay, it's not really X. It's actually Y. And then when I market them, I can look for opportunities that have that. And without that mediation, it's hard to even really kind of yourself think about it. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and it's neat that you kind of dig deeper into that because you, you likely, I'm, this is a assumption, but I'm assuming that you get more of a, a better fit and long, there's more longevity in the, in the matches between people in jobs because you've dug deeper into the, into the reasoning and into the motivation instead of just kind of somebody out looking for jobs on online and thinking I need more autonomy and then it's not actually fixing <laughs> fixing the no. problems. Yeah. And and on the flip side of that, compensation is obviously very important. But for a lot of people that move for a bump in compensation that really only lasts three months on the happiness scale, if that's not the motivator. Right. If it's something else and you still don't have that, there's no longevity there. And and then you have to look for another job again. So my role is to really I would say it's more the long game, not the short game. You know, what can we discover together? What areas are of interest to you? Let's look through some jobs and and see if that's something you're interested in, if that's something you're qualified to do and kind of go from there instead of just placing someone into a seat because there's a vacancy. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, obviously everybody wants to be paid more. That's kind of, that's the main motivator for I'm sure a lot of people, but um, sometimes that probably, maybe it's not an immediate pay bump or, or whatever, but long-term there's more opportunities to potentially grow in, you know, with certain companies, but you may not see that in a job posting. Like 
oh, opportunities to grow or opportunities to get where you actually want to want to be. Um, so yeah, it's good to have somebody there kind of understanding both sides. Absolutely, 100%. Um, what do you think are some common missteps that companies take when hiring or firing people? Um, I guess you're probably more on the hiring side, but any, any experience for both? Yeah. <laughs> but I do hear about the termination side as well, because often that can be when we come in. So, you know, I guess to, to start it on, on the far side of things, when we start working on a role, we always ask why it's vacant. Is it due to growth? Is it due to retirement? Is it because someone had left? Why did they leave? What weren't they happy with? Were they terminated? If they were terminated, how were they performing? What were the gaps? And this really helps us assess the right next fit that can really kind of fit into those areas. Um, I can't speak too much about mistakes with termination, um, but with hiring, I've also seen a bit of a change. So I would say about four years ago, um, many hiring managers were moving too quickly. It was one interview, the offer was out, they, they figured out that they liked the person um, and they moved forward. But a lot of the times the candidates themselves didn't really have the opportunity to ask all the questions that they wanted or really have the opportunity to decide if it was the right fit for them. They received a, an appealing offer. They thought, well, they see something in me, let's move forward. But I would say at that time, there was less thought um, in the process and, and more learning as you go. And, and that's really a big part of it. The first three months are really built for someone to settle in and understand if this is a place that they can add value and contribute and where they you know, thrive and, and get what they're looking for. I will say now in the market that we've been in, it's very um, candidate driven. So right now, what we're seeing is some companies take a little too long and we lose those candidates. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of different opportunities. And often when someone is interviewing for one job, it's quite likely that they're, if they're motivated, they're interviewing for a few more. My job as kind of the mediator is to really understand what other roles they're interviewing for, not to be nosy, but to understand what interests them, where they're at in the process. So if my client really likes them, but wants to have a third or fourth interview, I try and speed up the process. Because again, if they're the right fit, we don't want them turning down other opportunities just to wait in our process. So I would say a more recent misstep is taking too long in the hiring process. Interesting. And so that um, you kind of segued into a, a great topic. I know I had a friend who worked for a company and they had, I, I don't even know, I feel like I, she was in an interview process for months. Um, there was, you know, three here and then she had to go to a different uh, province to do like two more interviews. And then, you know, um, and I thought that was an interesting tactic because A, from the company's point of view, they're probably vetting these people <laughs> very much. Um, but for her, it was it was difficult because not like she didn't have a current job. Most people have a job while they're interviewing for another job. So she had to take time off of her current job um, to go through this process. So I, I wonder if they missed the candidates through the process because they just physically weren't able to, you know, if, if you're not guaranteed a position, how, how much work are you planning to kind of put in and then just to not get the job? Um, but yeah, I, I also agree that, the, the you know, moving too quickly can probably be tough. I know for myself, I am, you know, just kind of getting into thinking about hiring somebody full time. And it's tough for me, because I've in the past just worked with friends. Um, so how do you, you want to make sure you're a valuable one, you want to make sure they have the qualifications. Um, but you also don't want to just 
go off that. Like there, there should be more of a vetting process, but not maybe too much of a vetting process that you lose candidates because of it. Um, but yeah, maybe you can speak on that a little bit. You know, I think too, if someone's working with a recruiter, I'm often meeting with someone for 30 minutes to an hour. So I think a lot of candidates see that as an interview. And I, it, it definitely is because the information that I uncover, if I am shortlisting this candidate and we are moving forward, I'm creating an executive bio on their behalf. So I'm sharing already a lot on their accomplishments to just kind of bridge that so that the next interview can focus on behavioral or drill down on some of the things that I've shared. Um, so, but I, I really do think that, and I've seen like five or six steps in an interview process, it's too long, especially yeah. if half of them are assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, one, a client of mine actually had scheduled an interview and I thought, I, I wish that, and bear with me, I don't think this is a super, super popular opinion, but <laughs> I had a client that said, hey, we're doing a, a people and culture presentation in our mm-hmm. office talking about new initiatives that day. We would really like this candidate to come for a quick interview sit in on that presentation so they can understand, you know, what our culture is all about, um, perhaps see some people and meet some people. And then we'll have a quick follow-up after that presentation to make sure any of their questions are answered. Some of my colleagues thought that that was just too long. They're like, that's a two-hour commitment. But to find the right candidate and have the opportunity to present what your company is all about, I thought that was brilliant. And if that eliminates another interview, fantastic. Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think one big time commitment, not a huge deal. Cause I mean, you're either taking time you're there anyway. Yeah. yeah. You're taking the time off or you're whatever you're planning to be there anyway. Um, and I do like that because in the past, when I've interviewed for jobs, every, I find it's easy for companies to portray, Oh, we're, <laughs> I'm just using this example because I feel like everyone, it's a real family environment. Every mm-hmm. company says that. <laughs> and, and you don't know until you're in the job, what the culture actually is like. So I think that's, that's a fantastic opportunity for both sides and also to see how that candidate interacts with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings me to another uh, point as well. So would you recommend candidates before they're, they're obviously offered the job to meet current staff and team members, or do you think it's better to leave staff members or like current team members out of that process Um and, and kind of just present them with the final, I guess, uh, product, <laughs> the final so, person? I think it depends on the size of the company. So um, a really great client of mine, they're an advisory firm. And a big step in their process is almost not, it's more of a culture check. Let's have a Zoom with some of our team members because they have a small team and it's casual. There's no agenda. There's no questions. It's really just to get to know you. And that usually makes everybody feel more comfortable in moving forward. It might make a candidate more excited, more curious. It will provide some ease and comfort for a team acquiring a new team member. Um, You know, outside of that, with bigger companies, I've seen them, um, you know, bring in a buddy system where it's not someone that you report to necessarily, but it's someone in the company that you're almost paired with for a weekly check-in. Then at least you have one friend in the organization when you start. And you can ask that person questions that perhaps you don't feel comfortable asking your leader or your colleagues. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that works really well in bigger companies, but I think more context is always better. And I I certainly see uh, a trend moving in that direction where companies are doing more corporate videos that feature actual employees and people are looking at Google reviews. You know, it's it's more that community where we need these check-ins to really understand what work life is really like within an organization. 
Right. I love that buddy system idea. I've, mm-hmm. I've never heard of it, but it's so great to have, like you said, somebody outside of your team because you're learning. There's always that, like the growing pains at the very beginning when you start a job and you don't really know where you fit in, but it's nice to have somebody on the outside where you can just be like, okay, where's the bathroom? Like, I don't know. <laughs> and, and a perfect example. Um, one of my first leadership jobs that I had, I was in charge of a team. And yet at the same time, I had some funny questions like, where does everyone eat lunch? Do people actually eat lunch? Do we sit at our desk? Do we go out? If we go out, what's near here? What's quick? Is there a spot where everyone goes? Does everyone like to retreat and avoid each other during lunch? So these small questions that I didn't really feel comfortable asking anyone. So it was a bit awkward and weird. So I love, love, love the buddy system. Definitely. Probably even more so if you're in more of a leadership role because you're new, but you don't necessarily want to be... Yeah, asking those questions or, you know, you're just kind of... <laughs> Will you eat lunch nervous. with me? Yeah, <laughs> please. <laughs> how do you find, now that we've kind of talked about, like, how do you physically find the right people? Not, not you know, theoretically, but how do you physically find the right people for a job? So if a company comes to you and says, we're looking for X, Y, and Z, um, do you have a, a kind of a black book of people that you kind of go through? Or how do you match people with companies? multiple ways. So um, when I started in the industry, I had experience building teams from a corporate perspective, but didn't really have the network for other positions. So what I did was I bought subject matter experts lunch, and Mm -hmm. I interviewed them to understand their industries. As an example, I do a lot of work often in insurance. That's not something I fully understood or had any experience in. So I had to meet with people to better understand what all the steps are, how you get certified, um, what a designation is, all of that. Um, And then through those conversations come referrals. So in more niche industries, I really rely on referrals within my network. And people are amazing at putting people forward that they really believe in, which is incredible. Um, And a, a huge way that we find a lot of people is through LinkedIn. So when someone is starting a job search, even before I look at their resume, I look them up on LinkedIn to see what their presence is. And I think a lot of people will often say, I can't manage another social media platform. But with LinkedIn, it's more so a live resume and a way for people to find you, whether you're looking or not. Maybe someone's looking for a podcast guest or a panelist or a speaker. It's a way for people to find you without you actually having to do anything. Um, Even updating if you're hiring. Perhaps you're a hiring manager and you want someone to be able to find you and ask you questions about the role. Um, Maybe you are looking, whether it's publicly or privately, um, just having the right information out there along with some of your achievements or certifications or designations, I think is really helpful. It's not something you have to manage. You might get a message from a recruiter like myself or someone really just curious about your role. Um, And and for the most part, it is really quite professional. We're, We're not seeing a lot of personal photos, but I always say that's number one step. Um, if you're, you know, wanting to network more, even it doesn't even need to be for a job specifically. So a lot of the people I look for are through LinkedIn, because I can see what they're interested in. And then I'll reach out just to see if they're open to hear about an opportunity. Um, And most people are really, really responsive, which I really appreciate, even if it's just a polite, no, I'm not looking, that's fine. You know, as long as we're connected, and you know, I'm here in future, I you know, that's always my takeaway. Um, Another way I find people is, um, so we talked about LinkedIn, we talked about referrals, Um, we do post positions. I would say there are applications, I think for a lot of them, actually, we'll edit that part out, but um, there's a statistic, I don't know if it's still recent or not, 
but only 20% of people that would be qualified for a role would see the posting or hear about it from someone. The other 80% are too engaged or busy looking or busy focused on their actual position. They're not looking at jobs. So as an example, you right now, Dana, you're not looking for other jobs. You're busy, you're happy, you're engaged, um, as am I. But there could be someone like us in a different field that has this gap as far as what they're looking for and doesn't know it even exists. So I do post positions not to kind of lure people in, but just to share with my network what sort of opportunities are available because you don't know what you don't know. That's very true. And I think if you're not, I mean, I think opportunities are, you know, people are always open to opportunities, especially if, you know, potentially it's a better role. But if you're, if you don't, yeah, like if you don't know what's out there, you don't know what you don't know, then you're happy where you, where you are, or you're happy, or you're just, you're just nose to the grind and, and not even thinking about it. No. Um, so yeah, I think that's so true. And when you're looking for jobs, you have, I can't remember the term, but kind of like you, you see them everywhere. Like if you're looking for a job, you see postings everywhere. You could be looking at a billboard and it's kind of like when you're looking for a new car and you decide on the car and then you see that car everywhere. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but if you're not focused on that, then you may be you may be seeing postings and not even registering it until it's a good fit for you, and then it kind of peaks mm-hmm. peaks that interest. Um, another th- another thing I've done before, and this would be interesting, kind of given your profession too, is I was looking for a residential appraiser, and I had one candidate say, "I don't really understand what residential appraisers do. Could you share it with me?" And that made me think to do a day in the life of an yes. appraiser. So I interviewed my client and said, tell me about your day from the second you wake up to the second that you go to bed, because that role is quite, um, I would say flexible in the sense that, you know, it's not a typical nine to five usually. Yeah. And we kind of put together a timeline of what the day looked like. And that had so much positive response from my network because it was a real life example. It wasn't just a job description. It was, I wake up, I look at my emails, I do two or three calls, I come back, do my notes, my admin stuff, and I might go out again. And it really showed the flow of the position that a lot of people really have no idea about. Totally. And and I find too, job titles are so, like, for example, uh, we were just chatting earlier this week, administrative assistant or real estate assistant mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, like, what is that? And it could be, it could be different from realtor to realtor even, um, or from job to job, like your, your manager or like, admin assistant versus office manager like who knows what the actual day-to-day tasks are and if you're a good fit I mean obviously the job description but it that brings it to life and it's like Mm -hmm. okay daily am I organizing events I hate organizing events or am I you know typing out data and excel sheets oh I love doing that so Mm -hmm. yeah I think um that would be that would be and so unique um such a unique way to find somebody that's good for a position or to advertise your skills to be like, here's what I do in a day. Like anybody, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Well, and, and on that, you know, we've been working on a lot of executive assistant positions with some of the executive teams that we work with. And some of the roles are more on the governance side, working more with the board. Others are managing schedules, managing calendars, helping with events, and others could be more on the personal side, right? So for me to understand what each role entails, I market it that way, less so with the actual formal title. Right. Yeah. And that makes that makes total sense because job titles, like often I think about as a realtor, you know, if somebody people get out of real estate all the time and it's like, how how could you 
communicate the skills that you have as a real estate agent to do another job because it's, it's easy to say, I'm an admin assistant, I'm looking for an admin assistant role. And then you can mm-hmm. compare. But when you're a real estate agent, comparing to another job in another description, it's like, there's really so many skills that you have, but saying on a resume, formerly real estate agent, like it might not look, <laughs> it might not, you know, look great. Let's skip ahead so that we get a little bit of time for uh, ideal clients. And I think that would be, mm-hmm. that'll be a great to get your insight. But um, what are some main criteria that companies have uh, when they're recruiting? We kind of went over, um, like you were saying, the, you know, the work from home maybe being more of a, a trend now. But um, yeah, what, might, what main criteria do companies have when they're recruiting? Is it very different job to job, company to company? Or are you finding themes kind mm-hmm. of throughout I would say it really varies, but for the most part, most leaders that we work with and we all of our clients are great. So I'm kind of, I don't know if it's a true sample of all the opportunities, but all of the clients or hiring managers that I work with want people who are proactive and who um, are self-starters and who um, aren't afraid to share their opinion um, professionally, of course, but also who can take that kind of feedback that that might not be the right way um, to move forward. So they want people to feel encouraged to bring forward new ideas, but also um, have the ability to, you know, understand it's not personal if those ideas are not kind of action, so to speak. Um, I would say the pace of business is, is really quick now. So someone that can move quickly and that can manage their own time well. And that really bleeds into any positions that are hybrid or remote. You know, I think that there often can be this perception that if I'm a remote worker, I have tons of time during the day, I can take an extra long lunch, I can work in my PJs. And, you know, while some of those things may or may not be true, I think that's really the challenge and the hurdle when companies are moving to have more flexibility in work environment is the trust factor. Can I trust that this person will fill their day um, doing what I've paid them to do and, and bringing forward new ideas? So I think having someone that can manage their own time, that can create their own schedule and that can work hard within those times of focus um, mm-hmm. is really important. Collaboration is also something really huge for a lot of my clients, someone who has the ability to take charge and work independently, but also be that subject matter expert for other colleagues or be a listening ear or have that kind of open door to help encourage new ideas as well, especially in a leadership role. Um, so those are, you know, a few key areas that I'm seeing at least a trend in with my clients. Um, otherwise, it, it really varies. You know, I would say no one really often admits that they're a micromanager and they want someone who's easily micromanaged. That doesn't really come up. <laughs> but there's different skill sets, right? Whether the role is strategic or operational, you know, that would kind of require some some different questions and fit. Right. I like um, kind of... I, as you were describing kind of the trends, I'm like picturing a person because yeah, who like these qualities, no matter what the job, what the position, leadership or not leadership, um, these qualities are great qualities to have in, in a work environment in, in general. So um, and I should say too, it used to be more of a focus. And I talked about this a bit earlier on the technical skills. Do they mm-hmm. have X, Y, and Z technical skills? And mm-hmm. while some, you know, industries that's absolutely still important, Technical skills can be learned. There's the investment of training or coaching and time. Soft skills, you cannot teach soft skills. Um, You know, even when I was in real estate, I remember 
interviewing a lot of people that were so eager and, and really wanted to be in the industry. But when talking to clients, they completely retreated and, and just couldn't learn that skill set because that wasn't some an area that they excelled in. So it's re- it's a lot harder, I should say, to learn soft skills versus technical skills. So I think if someone has the eagerness, um, the collaboration, the um, I guess uh, interest in community within a work environment, yeah, I would say that goes a lot further. Totally. Yeah. And like you said, whether whether a company has the infrastructure for it or not, investing in somebody who, like you said, has the soft skills is worth mm-hmm. it. But investing in somebody who maybe doesn't is tough. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really difficult to to hire somebody who doesn't have the skills that you need immediately. But is the investment worth it? And I guess if they have the soft skills, then it's worth it. So what what would you say is the biggest challenge you face when recruiting for companies? I would say it's definitely um, lack of control, <laughs> if that <laughs> makes any sense at all. Not that, you know, my role is to control anything, but I am not a mind reader. So even on the client side, someone might say that three things are important, but there might be a hidden fourth that I just don't know about. Um, and on the candidate side, the same way, if someone says they're not really super motivated and this is the only role that they're looking at and all of a sudden I learn that there's five that they're looking at that's not allowing me to help them in the process right and again as I stated earlier I don't ask questions to be nosy I ask so if this is the right fit we can move this along that's my role as kind of a mediator facilitator is to move the needle so that everybody wins and um, so I think just really understanding human behavior Mm -hmm. what motivates people communication styles, all of these things are really, um, unless I ask, out of my control. So I think that's the most challenging part is, you know, if we have a motivated company and less motivated candidate, I'm trying to kind of speed time up and make sure all questions are answered. But if they're not at the same pace, it can be challenging. And on the flip side, if you have a candidate that's eager and looking for the right opportunity and a company saying, I think this process will take two months. Yeah. Well, that's not that's not helping the candidate in, in their search for a role because they're looking for the right fit with some, you know, shorter timelines. Totally. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting to me that you say that because you would think, especially like on both sides, if they're coming to you, um, what is the harm in being transparent? <laughs> like that's the whole but you're more, you know, it's almost like therapy, right? Like you're trying to get to the bottom, the main motivator and try to trying to find good fits. And companies and and people who are looking for jobs, like you said earlier, probably just actually aren't aware sometimes that what they're saying isn't true or isn't the full truth. Um, You know, they think like, yeah. And I try and educate candidates too. like, listen, I'm representing both sides. If this isn't a fit for you and you're really excited about another opportunity that you have, I still want to hear about it. You know, (laughs) I'm investing my time in someone's journey and maybe we're talking today and you end up taking on another job, but in five years, something else comes up uh, that you've mentioned, and I think you're ready, and I contact you again. So my motivations for every meeting I have aren't to talk someone into that job. That's not helping anyone out. It's really to understand what would be ideal, what would be motivating, and what would be a fit. So I think sometimes when people don't share other opportunities they're working on, they just don't want to disappoint me or the client. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm representing both sides, and I'm looking for fit, not a placement. Right. And and like you said earlier, long term, you're thinking long term. Now that person is exactly. in your database. And now, you know, um, I think that's the same as buyers and sellers. I always tell seller, or buyers, 
I'm not trying to sell you a house. I'm trying to sell you a house, but not this particular house. I don't care if you buy this one or the one down the street, as long as it's the right one for you. It it really doesn't, like, it doesn't affect me. Um, I think once, once people understand that, it's a lot easier to communicate. (laughs) Um, 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that segues very nicely into working with um, kind of ideal clients or accounts. Um, Like how many accounts or clients do you work with in a year yourself? So I've been trending the last three years, probably around 30 to 35 placements a year, um, which is pretty average. And this would be a mix of anything from professional to executive. So the executive searches would take a little longer and a bigger chunk of time than some of the other searches. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're a general firm, so we like having some of that variety. Um, Mm -hmm. When I started in recruitment, my goal wasn't to have as many clients as I could. It was to have really strong partnerships. And I'm really proud of the work that Summit has done because many of our clients are repeat clients. Yeah. And that I love because my goal is to always be an extension of a business. I'm not interested in transactions. Um, So I guess to kind of answer part of the question in an opposite way, I'm not interested in just throwing resumes at a company and hoping it sticks. Maybe they hire someone, but I just don't feel like I was part of that process and I really added any value. So I'm more interested in relationships versus transactions. Um, And again, like if I look back on 2022, I think I worked with about 25 clients, but a lot of the roles were repeat. So I, I, I did a few more placements last year. But again, once I market a company once and I hire people and I understand the dynamics of the organization, it's so much more enjoyable for me to market that company because I already have kind of the inside scoop on on culture and growth opportunity and, and other programs that might not traditionally be in a job description. Oh, absolutely. And and then you can, you know, like you were saying, you're, you have different avenues to find a person. But if you know all of that already, it probably expedites the process for the next placement as well because you, you kind of already know the fit. Um, it does. So if you prefer relationships, I'm the exact same way. Um, most of my clients are repeat and referral as well. How, how would you say you attract the right companies or the right, um, the right clients or the right candidates to have those relationships? Is it, is it kind of, do you have a strategy for that? Or how do you find the people that you know, you'll have great relationships with? When I started out in the industry, I definitely had more strategy in that I came from real estate. So my comfort zone was working in industries that I was already aware of from my last career. So um, when I started, it was more developers, construction companies, some insurance, um, finance or financial institutions, sales roles, marketing roles. Those were more of my comfort. Um, So in some industries that I had less knowledge in, again, I go back to interviewing people, asking questions in the early days. Since then, most, like, I'll be honest, I haven't really had to traditionally do any business development because a lot of the clients I have are through referrals. Yeah. So when I have a great client, they already know how I work, my style, how often I share information. That's always the best way to get business because someone already understands big things that may or may not be a fit. 
And I know that, you know, working with someone like me might not be the best fit for every single company, um, but for, for the right ones and for the clients that already share a lot of that, um, I think those are always the best relationships because we come in with those expectations of, of how things work really well um, and how things might not work well. Totally. Yes. Referral business, it, that is goals, what you just said, because referral business is honestly the best. You work, you do a great job for somebody or for a company, and then they refer you to somebody else who's like them, most likely, um, has similar needs, has similar vibes. Um, yeah. And then you really don't have to do a lot of ideal client work because you're, you're getting your ideal clients from your clients. <laughs> Other great That's clients. Awesome. Yeah. And it's just like, it's going back to dating, right? If you're trying to set one of your friends up, you already know that person. So you market them in a certain way. And, yes. and that's really like me, right? It's like, yeah, if someone with me, yeah it, it, it really is, is the best referral. But also, you know, a lot of companies will reach out to me and, and we have a really great discussion on fit. Um, as an example, some companies want to work with multiple recruiters. That's not really my ideal relationship, only because I think it really does a disservice when you're trying to manage all these different agencies and firms similar in real estate, right? When when someone's working with multiple um, real estate agents, it, it can be hard. And often you're kind of duplicating all work. So, but I also understand urgency. So if someone's looking for that, I might not be the right fit because we do a lot of research and we do have a lot of long-winded conversations um, and, and our process can be longer, but we rarely use our guarantees. So part of our business is we guarantee that someone stay in their role for a certain period of time. And if they don't, we'll replace them. In the yes. last four years, I think I've replaced two or three people and it was due to relocation. That's so amazing. we heavy up on the front end, which might take longer. Yeah. But I truly believe that helps with the longevity of that yeah. relationship. Absolutely. I like that idea as well. Um, you're almost, you're, the more questions you ask, the more in-depth you get at the beginning, um, the more you can kind of see, like you said, if it's not going to be a good fit, if if they're not going to enjoy the experience that, that you're presenting or that, that kind of the job that you do, then why not, why not stop it there instead of, I, mm -hmm. I know, especially when I started in real estate, it's very difficult to, it's difficult to rationalize yourself to vet people that way, because you kind of, you just want a sale and you're like, you know what, I'm willing to, I'm willing to go through a process that might not be the best process in order to, you know, whatever, but you're not doing yourself or, or the client a service in doing that. You may mm -hmm. as well spend your energy vetting people and working with people who are going to have a great time because then you'll get referrals if you're kind of transacting and doing things without vetting at the beginning, then you have a bad experience and then you also don't get the referral and <laughs> or you're getting a totally. referral to somebody who's also not your ideal client. And yeah, so you're saving yourself a lot of time by doing that. We all want to invest time um, the right way. Yeah. And if someone is really urgent, that's totally fine. There's a lot of other agencies that can do things at a quicker pace. And I'm always so transparent about that. I might not be the right fit for you, but here's who could be. And I even refer to competitors because I want people to be taken care of. But at the same time, if I can't commit 100% or if I can't meet their expectations, I don't want them to learn about that after we've already invested the time. You know, I'd rather be upfront about that. Yes, exactly. And like you said, um, you know, I've, I also do the same thing. Um, for example, you know, if somebody's looking for you know, a lower commission rate and less services and less whatever, maybe to be honest, maybe the right answer is not using a realtor. Realtors provide service. <laughs> um, so if you don't feel like you need it, then, then maybe don't. And, yeah. and 
then, you know, through that process, if you decide that's fine, but instead of trying to work and change your own, um, change your own process to kind of fit that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today for this discussion. I feel like I could ask you 10 million more questions, but we'll stop it here. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to do a part two. <laughs> oh, uh, this was so much fun. And, you know, I've said it too before. I love that, you know, our roles, while they're a little bit different and in different industries are so aligned. So I always really enjoy chatting with you and exchanging stories. And I, I've learned so much from you as well. So thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Jess. And if you liked this episode of the podcast, please uh, subscribe, like, share um, all of the things and you can go follow Jess and uh, Summit Search Group as well. Thank you.